0: Hi, I'm Len Epp from Lean Pub, and in this episode with the Front Matter Podcast, I'll be interviewing Peter Cook. Based in Brighton, Peter is a senior visualization developer at Flourish who writes about the how-to of data visualization for Create with Data. You can follow him on Twitter at Create with Data and Peter underscore R underscore Cook. And check out his website at createwithdata.com, as well as peterrcook.com, d3indepth.com and animateddata.com and of course there will be links to all these things in the transcript for the interview peter is the author of the leanpub books d3 start to finish learn how to make a custom data visualization using d3.js and fundamentals of html svg css and javascript for data visualization in d3 start to finish peter shows you how to build an interactive data visualization using the popular javascript t3.js library you can actually see the working visualization yourself called energy explorer at d3 start to finish energy explorer. which shows the energy mix of 141 countries. In this interview, we're going to talk about Peter's background and career, professional interests, his books, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience writing and self publishing. So, Peter, thank you very much for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast.
1: Hi, Len. Thanks for asking me.
0: I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you found your way into a career in data visualization.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in, in the UK, in, um, just outside of London, in uh, a, a village in the county of Surrey. Um, and I think I was always good and enjoyed doing kind of maths and sciencey sort of things. Um, I think my first interest in computing started because of my, my dad who um, this would have been in the late 70s brought home a no not brought home um bought a like a kit computer um because he he was a like electronics engineer um and that's how we just kind of started learning to program because that's all kind of all you could do on um in those days um it very much was you know a, a computer for programming and that was in in the basic language um, I think it just captured my imagination. I enjoyed it. I always liked sort of um, kind of electronic gadgets, that kind of a thing even at a young age. And so yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then, yeah, I think eventually for Christmas I got a um, a Sinclair zx 81, um, which I absolutely loved. and you know in those days you'd type in programs or load in, you know buy a tape with a game on it and load that in. Um, and then uh, yeah just went through a progression of different computers Um, and then by the time I got to my kind of end of school and and, um, choosing what to do at university I think I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do but kind of defaulted I think partly because my older brother um, did computer science I think I kind of defaulted to a, um, like a computer science where it was actually a software engineering um, degree. Um, but I think a few months into that, I just realised it wasn't quite for me. And I, I was always really inter- also really interested in motorsport um, and decided that actually I wanted to, um, I think I just decided I actually wanted to study mechanical engineering. So I changed the degree, um, studied that in Birmingham and I think I think looking back I've always kind of been interested in that almost the intersection of um, I suppose engineering and computing or the, it's almost applied computing I'm definitely not a computer scientist I'm not really interested in you know algorithm well I, I yeah, you know, use algorithms rather than study you know making them really optimal or you know studying the theory behind them I'm more interested in using computers to make things um like the almost the creative side of 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 kind of making things um with software um and yes yeah, so I think my fi- what was my my final year project was it was yes that's right um it just so happened that my tutor was um, in the department that did um, research on computer-aided design um, so he suggested a final year project um, for me that was kind of improving the user interface of uh, some software that they had for experimenting with things like bezier curves which to kind of Really common, they're all over the place, but they, they originated in in computer aided design, um, and so um, the the software was just like a text input software. So it's extremely painful to use, um, and so I basically developed say like a graphical user interface, um, uh, uh, that, and 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 again that 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 was. That was in quite the you know the, the, this is back in the i suppose in the 90s so um there wasn't um i think back then it was called the discipline i got really interested in was called human computer interaction which these days is kind of known as kind of user interface design or user experience that kind of a thing and i really enjoyed um doing that and then after my degree um, I was offered a, a PhD by my tutor in computer-aided design, um, but I thought I'd kind of just try working until um, so I got a job in like an IT consultancy. Uh, I didn't really enjoy that, so I went back and did the PhD. And so that was kind of a mix of maths and computer graphics, kind of 3D um, geometry. And that possibly set a bit of a foundation for, you know, getting into data visualization later on. Um, So yeah, that that went fairly well. I I mean, I definitely wasn't really cut out to stay in academia. Um, And I'm then at the end of the PhD, I moved to Cambridge and went to work for a company who do do software for computer-aided design. Um, so that was really sort of geometry-heavy, three D type geometry problems. Um, stayed there for quite a few years, and then just really wanted a change. Um, got into got interested in web development again. This is in the fairly early days. So when I started, um, JavaScript wasn't really much. It was kind of just a little language that you you would sprinkle into websites. Um, there was no you know you know I think I'm not sure if even jQuery was around at that at, at that stage. Um so I kind of got interested in building websites and then eventually um, made the sort of bold decision of quitting my job and, and going freelance in web development um, and shortly after that moved um, down to Brighton which is on the South Coast of of the UK. Um, and uh, yeah, I may, you know, was able to get you know, a, a, an okay amount of work um, doing web d- d- development. And then I um, found a, sort advertised a workshop on, on data visualisation in Brighton, went along to that and um, just really loved it. Um, that's where I discovered D3. So this is back in, I think, 2013, I think. Um, Yeah, and I just really connected with D3. I managed to, I think it might have been a little bit easier to learn back then from the the documentation, but kind of studied the the documentation, got my head around it, um, built a few things, published them on my website. Um, and then I yeah, started getting a few inquiries for work, so I and, and just thought, OK, I'm going to make, you know, put everything into this and, you know, market myself as a uh, visualisation kind of designer and developer. And um, that went pretty well. Um, and then, yeah, started kind of writing tutorials and then eventually ran a workshop in Brighton, which I enjoyed doing. Um, and then uh, started the website d3 in depth um, I think <laughs> in the background of this the I, I was using a co-working space and the the guy who runs that um, John Markwell he he was always sort of yeah he, he's an entrepreneur as well and, and you know used to, he used to be able to kind of offer us advice on kind of um, being freelance, but also of looking at having a product type thing, you know, a, a product type business, and so it was always in the back of my head that that would be nice to do. And I remember telling him about, about my deeply in-depth website, and he said, "You know, are you charging for it?" Um, but you know, it's a it's a free website, so it's kind of from that point on. I've always been kind of thinking, okay, how how can I turn this into something? Um, and then yeah more recently you know I I started um, I realized that people need to sort of or want to learn how to actually build it's really useful to learn actually how to build something um, from from scratch using d3 because you you see lots of examples but they're kind of not finished examples in a way Um, and so that's kind of where the the name d3 start to finish comes from because you're kind of starting from nothing and and going all the way to building a like a fully functioning kind of release ready um data visualization um so that was two or three years ago but i first packaged it up as a online course um and yeah that did okay didn't you know I, i mean i didn't really marketed it all that much to be honest i I sort of led people from d3 in depth to it so i've got a few sales and then just a few months ago i just i I still can't remember the process but i just thought it just made more sense as, as a book um i think i was a little bit getting a bit tired of running a wordpress site as well so it started feeling like I was having to be a sysadmin as well which I just didn't want to have to do um and also uh, I just know that saying okay I've got a book everyone gets that everyone really understands what what yeah you know, even if, if, if it's an ebook, book people understand what that is and what what the expectation is as my course because it was a text-based course um you know I, I think people possibly assume if it's a course it's a video course you know so there's a few you know lots of other reasons um, so i kind of furiously for a couple of months converted all these wordpress pages into into markup and and used leanpub and i've been way of leanpub for you know quite a few years and have kind of toyed with it in the past um, yeah and so I converted them into into books um published them back in june just a couple of months ago Um, and yeah they they seem to have i think one of my tweets seemed to go um get you know a lot of attention which i wasn't quite expecting and and i think off the back of that is is i've had a good reception to it and here
0: we are <laughs> yeah well thanks thanks very much for sharing uh, uh all the details of that really great story and that and that journey as well um yeah no we we noticed i mean we we of course noticed as soon as the, the books came out um and uh and dad uh, that that tweet was quite popular um it's funny for, for people who might not know d3 is a very popular thing um you know i just i was just sort of scrolling twitter last night and you know the economist mm-hmm. was um advertising a yeah. job for some you know d3 kind of developer and stuff like that and it's really yeah. hot and you know um Peter's being very modest, but his book is our current bestseller, right, right at the moment. Um, if you know, to leave, <laughs> bub.com would be number one. Um, so people are really, really enjoying the book. And it is, it is, it is actually a very interesting uh, approach to sort of writing a book and sort of um, presenting it, the, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, like in the, mm-hmm. in the next part of the mm-hmm. interview where we talk about the mm-hmm. book, but you know, the idea that you actually have, like you could click a link and go to like, here's what you're going to build when it's done. Um, is actually a really powerful way of like sort of convincing, you know, sort of, proving to people the value of the book, like, wow, I'm going to be able to do that. Um, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, but before we get there, actually, there's, there's one, one thing I wanted to go going way all the way back to the beginning of, of what you were talking about. Um, it's interesting. We, I mean, we, we easily date ourselves by the references to the technology we used when we were young. (laughs) And I'm, I'm of the same generation where like, I remember, I remember tapes, um, tapes for computers and things like that. Um, and, uh, and it's really interesting how many people we've had on the podcast who their first introduction to a, when, they're, when they're as old as we are, when their first introduction to a computer actually was from a parent uh, bringing yeah. it into the home one way or mm. another. Sometimes it's like they were the only person at work who sort of was interested in the challenge of learning mm. how to use one of these things. Um, they were a hobbyist who was just sort of fascinated by the technology. But you talked about um, uh, it's really interesting that with the very early one, personal computers, often the only thing you could do is code yeah. something which is funny because people, you know, were, you know, for for all kinds of reasons, sort of used to be able to, you know, just turn it on and using things. When you were typing in programs, where were you getting the programs from? Mainly magazines.
1: So there's just tons of, well, I'd say tons. There's a few different uh, magazines, again, which I just loved. I just absolutely loved the magazines flicking through them. Um, So, yeah, there'd be specific ones for, like, uh, for the ZX eighty one, or at least for Sinclair computers, there'd be a like Sinclair user and, and your Spectrum, that kind of a thing. Yeah, and so they'd they'd have programs that that you could type in.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Also, right the,
1: for, also few books as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and
0: for people for people listening, we're talking about paper magazines and paper books. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you went, you and and you didn't you didn't get them online like you went to the store, and then not romantic myself it's for really, that era, but you know it was. It was very interesting how kind of precious it could be to come yeah. across a magazine with, with some with some a program in it that you could take home and, you know, type into your computer yeah. and like, you know, make it run and like it would work. It was just quite a magical experience. And sometimes I think maybe it's it's sort of nice to sort of remember how or remind ourselves of, you know, uh, how magical it is, the things that we could do nowadays. Um, yeah. Which leads me to actually ask you, ask you a version of a question that always comes up on the podcast um, or often does, which is... If you were st- you said you, you mentioned that um, uh, I didn't know this, but you, you sort of you were a sort of computer science major for a kind of brief moment and then realized you know mechanical engineering was more your thing. Um, yeah. But if you were starting out now in like 2022 with the intention of having a career doing doing what you're doing, what you're doing now with data visualization, would you go to university and do like a full degree? <laughs> that's, a,
1: that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I've thought about it is. Quite a lot. Um, we, have, we also have a four-year-old daughter. So I think, oh, would she go to university? Would we recommend it? And to be honest, I, you know, in my day, it's almost like automatically you'd go. You wouldn't even question it. I would definitely question it now, without any doubt. Um, as to, I think I'd, you know, or at the very least, weigh weigh up the, you know, the cost of it with what the return is likely to be. Um, because that's the other thing. I think it's more expensive. I mean, I didn't have to pay for it in my day. I was gonna ask, um, did
0: you did you have to pay tuition? And the answer is no, no, right? No,
1: we got a like a grant. So we we got some living, you know, the, the government would give us some, you know, a modest amount to um to sort of live by. Um but yeah, no, I, I with all the resources that are out there, um even just on YouTube. Um, I'm presuming that you know there's plenty of paid for resources uh, as, as well um, I mean uh, yeah so no I mean I'd say just try things out if it seems to make sense to go to university then then go for it um, but definitely I wouldn't just fall into it which I think was I don't know if that still still happens now but certainly in my day you wouldn't even really think about it you just kind of did that automatically
0: um and you mentioned um so you did a you did a phd and then you went and i I don't think you you named it but um i can see here from i'm just looking at your page on linkedin you Mm. went to work for siemens in cambridge for about, for about 10 years um that so that were you were you doing like manufacturing kind of Representations of machines and things like that?
1: So, when I joined, there was just a small company called D Cubed. Um, oh, okay. There were just about 30 people, and then they were acquired by, uh, well, they were actually acquired by one of our customers, UGS, I think it was. And then they were then acquired The okay. two acquisitions we went through. Um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of the, yeah, like the mathematical representation of shapes. Um, so, I mean, there's CAD software like, I think one of the most famous one is SolidWorks. Um, so if people have heard of that, um, we, we wrote some of the um, kind of, uh, some of the kind of the brains of, of the software. Um, so uh, not, not so much the user interface, but some of the sort of under the bonnet stuff, we would kind of license to people like SolidWorks and lots of other um (laughs) lots of other kind of of competing companies i suppose and and and, um yeah they're they're really successful at what what they did but yes it is very mathematical and 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 yeah and and yeah it was um yeah very complex software a lot of it really was pretty complex
0: and were you were you code i'm just i'm just kind of curious were you coding or were you doing math or um
1: it was more coding so it i mean really it was
0: maintaining
1: this software which by you know by the time i left it was over 10 years old the the, the software so um, it was for, to be honest it's i don't know 70 or 80 percent maintenance in other words um dealing with bugs right. <laughs> and trying to fix them and, and you know a bug fix could you know sometimes it could be if you're lucky half a day or it could be a few days of you know yeah a a lot of work going into sort of diagnosing it and figuring out what the the issue is fixing it and then there's a huge kind of test suite so you then have to make sure it doesn't didn't break something else you know so you you could spend a few days just kind of (laughs) um just yeah, um, kind of fixing, fixing an issue and just making sure nothing else is breaking and kind of um, do iterations on your initial fix. Um, yeah, and the occasionally, if we were lucky, we'd, we'd you know, work on a new feature. <laughs> and, and you can. this is why after quite a few years of doing this, I just wanted, needed to do something different.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. In the next stage, you did something that actually quite a few um, LeanPub authors do at a certain point in their careers which is you know what I just want to I want to be independent for at least for a while yeah and so you yeah. made that leap and uh what what was that like did you have clients lined up before before you did it or did you dive in you know
1: it was a I had one I had one client I didn't have a whole list of clients um yeah it, I can't remember what what my thinking was. I think I just realized I just had to go through it um but I did have one client and somehow, I can't quite remember, I mean, somehow I just managed to um, find find work or find enough work. I think when I moved down to Brighton, I was also did some networking. I think that's how I, I, how I got more work. So I was on various mailing lists and responded to those and managed to get some work that way.
0: And was it when you went independent that you then started creating your own websites and learning materials and sort of things like that?
1: Um, I think I mean, for a long time, even back in, I think my first website was when I finished my PhD, so it's around 2000, oh, which is okay, yeah, re, in a really early days, so it's always something that I was interested in. Um, but yeah, so I think the um, but yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I, I mean, I had a website at that point, but again, I, I, I was doing I think the main thing I was doing was kind of WordPress work. Um, so kind of building web- websites using WordPress.
0: Um, and then, yeah. And then um, uh, eventually you, uh, just a few years ago, you started working for flourish as well. So you sort of, you know, went, went back into the corporate corporate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, what, yeah. What, what what kind of work do you do for them?
1: It's so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a funny one because um, it's, I think it's around the same time. Um, it was, um i think it, it was about i've got notes here since <laughs> 2016 i i again i was i always like building my favorite um thing i like to do with software is, is building small things almost proof of concepts or you know I, I really like that side of things that sort of initial really kind of creative phase um and one of the things which i'm still interested in is is kind of just devising Tool so that other people can kind of visualise data. And so I built a tool um, called Vismeo. I don't think it's live at the moment. Um, And I think where you could kind of upload a CSV file and then choose different visualisations and and get a chart and kind of download it or publish it. I think it's around the same sort of time (laughs) Flourish did a similar sort of thing. Um, I think the, the big difference is that they really ran with the idea um, and the, the two um, founders behind it, um, Duncan and, and Robin, I mean, they're, they're tremendously competent as well. Yeah, they, they really ran with it, they hired the right people and, it, and it's just astonishing how successful um, it's been. Um, but yes I, I, I got introduced to them and did some work for them because they, they were originally an agency so I did a bit of data vis um, work for them um, and then eventually Duncan started talking to me about kind of um, working on flourish and then eventually that evolved into asking me whether I wanted to to um, join flourish um, and, that, and at that point the idea was was that I'd i um, would be able to work for them um, part-time, so about three and a half days a week. And for the remainder of my time, I could really focus on you know, my writing and, and my courses. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's still what I'm doing now. But yes, I'm, I'm still, I, I work on data, data visualizations for Flourish. I mean, they, they kind of have different templates so that you can upload your data and choose between different templates to to sort of visualise your data, um, so there's a handful that um, I've, I've created, but also that there's one or two that I um, that that I maintain as well. So yeah, and and most of them are using D three as well.
0: And yeah, actually, sort of moving on to moving on to that, let's talk a little bit more specifically about D three. So you mentioned that yeah. you know in the early days, JavaScript was kind of maybe something you'd add to a website or something like that. <laughs> but now, you know, I mean, you know, many of our listeners will know how much. You know, it's, it's, it's much more robustly used than that now. Uh, but, yeah, can you talk a little bit specifically about D3? I mean, what, yeah. what is it and what makes it different from other um, uh, JavaScript libraries?
1: Yeah, so um, I think um, when I was still uh, working, working in Cambridge, one of the things I, I got interested in was I was logging my, my um, energy data and I thought I'd have a go at kind of visualizing it. And the charting libraries at that point in, in JavaScript, I think there was really only there's Google Charts even back then where you could do sort of basic kind of similar charts to what you'd get in Excel. Um, and there was another one called Flot, um, which I think is still around, and I used that. Um, and so that was before D3 existed. Um, and then when D3 came out, it, 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 it used, uses a very different approach and a good way of describing it is sort of a, like a building block approach. So it has lots of um, the kind of parts of a chart, wh- whether it's the axes or, you know, the, the um, it, it just has lots of kind of components that will help you build a chart. Um, so yeah so it's quite unlike pretty much all the other charting libraries so you know things like one of the big ones now is tie charts you would say okay i want a bar chart you plug your data in and you get a bar chart um but with d3 it's more about kind of saying here's my data and i want to kind of um you're almost transforming it into of different shapes you're sort of saying how I want to transform my data into into different shapes and different you know and and you're describing how where you want those shapes to appear on the screen Um, you know you you could kind of build a charting library using d3 or you can um, just make a completely custom um, visualization using d3 as well.
0: Yeah, and um, uh, people will be able to look at an example of uh, of the kind of things you can do um, when they click a link in the transcript for this episode, um, and and see the Energy Explorer. But um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, and just you know, sort of what yeah. what 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 that's about, because it's, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and it's I mean, it's just fascinating in itself. But um, where did you get the data from, and um, and then uh, what are the different things that you that you do with that? So splitting things up yeah. into you know the proportion, the the sort of categories of energy production, and then. You know the proportion and how that's presented for each country.
1: Yeah, uh, so I mean, it really arose out. I did a lot of I put a lot of thought into what the reader would um, build because I wanted it to cover. I think it was some of the requirements. I wanted it to be kind of a custom visualization. In other words, I didn't want it to be like a bar chart or, or you know like a traditional chart because there isn't much. For me, there wasn't really much point building something like that with D3, so I wanted something um, fairly custom, but I also didn't want it to be too difficult to build, and I wanted to be able to cover as many concepts as possible. Um, So that's how I came, kind of came to building this sort of grid of of, of circles. So yeah, so um, so the data has come from the World Bank. Um, They publish the kind of energy mixes of, of different countries. So they might say you know one country has you know 90% of their energy comes from fossil and 10% from renewables that, that kind of thing. So um so it's the split that this visualization shows there's four different categories um it fossils, renewables, um is it hydro and I can't remember the other one. I've not got it in front of me. Um,
0: Nuclear.
1: Nuclear, that's it. Thank you. Um, And so, yeah, there's a grid of circles. So each country is represented by four circles, and each circle is representing one of the energy types. And each circle is styled differently. Um, And It it almost gives each country like a fingerprint. So you can kind of see... um, at a glance, um, what, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so I've kind of styled it so um, the renewable circles are like a solid green. So it, you can immediately get drawn to the, the countries which have, you know, larger amounts of renewables. Um, and likewise, say for nuclear power, I can immediately see like France and Hungary, I've got this like dotted orange circle. Um, i'm just really fascinated by these different kind of visual representations and and what they can kind of convey um as an alternative to you know a traditional um say say bar chart um and you can kind of sort again this is this is sort of you know the, the, the visualization is partly driven the design of it is partly driven by um it being a an example that you can learn how to build so again it's finding a balance between something interesting and something that's something that's not too hard but there's a little menu at the top where you can choose to sort by the different uh, measures so you could click on say nuclear and then the circles will shuffle into a new location and then the, the country that has the most nuclear um proportion will appear at the top left and it will be kind of sorted in descending order and again I think one of the things one of the big um, things that d3 kind of brought that was was quite new was just these amazing I mean it caused some transitions but um, I think what more widely referred to as animations where you know shapes will be Shuffling into new positions, and, and you see these all over. I think there was a time—it's um, probably quite a few years ago now. Um, typically, you would see these amazing examples in, in like the New York Times, would because um, my postdoc who invented who wrote D three worked there for a while, so you'd see these amazing visual sensations coming out of the New York Times with these really nice animations. I think that's partly why, you know, D3 became
0: so popular. Yeah, yeah no, no, thanks for sharing all that. It's, it's so interesting how, um, you know, news organizations and journalists in particular, you know, sort of mm. just in the last few years, really, I mean, you know, we uh, mm. really, really picked up on the sort of um, how kind of you can make you can make sort of data entertaining. Um, uh, yeah. with visualizations right which is you know that, that yeah. that's kind of an old thing and it's it's kind of hard to talk about in the abstract but like when you see an example of a great visualization like for example looking at your energy explorer right now when you click on nuclear you, you really can see like it's it's amazing you know for example you might think of you might I mean a lot of people who don't know might not know like France is like 80 percent nuclear energy for its electricity mm, production yeah. for example and you can see right away Um, or Germany for example you can see like the 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 sort of dotted line for nuclear is just a bit smaller than the circle that's green for renewable, but then the oil, gas, and coal one is even bigger than both of those. Mm. Um, and you know, it, you know, I mean, these this data goes back to 2015, and things have actually changed a lot in sure, the last seven years. Sure. But yeah, um, yeah. but but still, it's it is it is really interesting that like the amount of information you can convey mm. kind of at a glance about about a number of different things. Um, I had, a, I had a website of my own years ago, very pr- primitive, but it was motivated by the idea that um, particularly the way North American sports work, the reg- there's a regular season and then there's playoffs. And um, the only point of the regular season, other than enjoying watching your team is to try and make it to the playoffs. Uh, but um, uh, to this day, actually, if you see an update, like, you know, on the news or on a website about like how the league is, how the teams in the league are doing, you actually just see a, a table. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of numbers, like, like, like you're, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's the 19th century, and you're looking up stock tables yeah. or something. But like with stocks, of course, what you want to see is a chart. You want to see the yeah. chart performance yeah. over time. And um, you know, to this day, with sports, people still don't do that. But once you start sort of seeing things, oh, like how would you go about representing, you know, the performance of a team over time? Well, what you need to you need to come up with some kind of metric. And so, you know, there's there's various things you can do that make it interesting, but Um, uh, but like, you know, with once, once you sort of work out a visualization for a particular thing, um, and, and, and then when you add the, you know, basically time, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, and then you get sort of animations, um, you know, things get, things get, get really interesting and there's so much that you can convey. Um, and so you've, uh, I gather from your bio that, um, you've done work, um, with, um, you know, training sort of people at the BBC and the economist and things like that. And I guess this is partly, you know, talking about the book, do you need to be a programmer um, to do d3 visualization
1: yeah you do you do I mean this is it's something um i yeah it's something that I know so many people um kind of want to learn d3 and I, when I ran public training courses like where anyone could sign up um I was also I always tried to be careful to make sure that people did have the experience but you, you would occasionally get people signing up who who, who weren't you know massively strong at, at, at programming um I, I really wish that it could be so much easier for people to create custom visualizations and and i think the the tools just still quite aren't quite there and i, I don't think fundamentally it has to be so as difficult as it is but um yeah you you, you definitely need to be a, a programmer and fairly, fairly proficient in javascript um for, for d3 to be really honest um but i think i mean I, i've got a companion book to this which i, I you know basically wrote because of the, 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 this reason and i just wanted to make sure that people um kind of knew what level they needed to be at but also have a resource so that people could get up to that level um so so yeah another book with a really long title (laughs) fundamentals of html svg css and javascript for data visualization which is also on on lean pub and that really is just to Help people get up to the required level for the D3 start to finish book, but I think it's also quite useful because I can just say this is what you need to know in order to do the D3 start to finish book. Um, Because I think I'd I'd much rather be upfront to say, you know, it is it it is quite a um, a, 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 it's not an easy library to, to get to grips with. Um, but I think if you already have knowledge of, of um, kind of web development then you, you can learn it in a sort of if you're me- methodical about it
0: yeah that actually that's, that actually gives us a great opportunity to segue into the last part of the interview where we talk about your uh, work you know writing and, and self-publishing and projects and how you work on them and things like that and so so um, so D3 start to finish came before fundamentals of HTML SV- they
1: were they kind of they're kind of written in tandem, um in effect they're written in, in, in kind of in parallel because I, I I yeah I can't remember if one came before the other but they're they're pretty much kind of companions.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really it's really interesting because I mean, whenever you um, go about kind of you know writing a writing a book that's sort of teaching someone something, you're like, oh, they also need to know that. Oh, they also yeah. need to know yeah. that. And you know, and yeah. and eventually, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I'm actually writing two books here, yeah. um, you know, not yeah. one, and that that can actually be like kind of like a either I, I, an exhilarating or a very daunting <laughs> <laughs> daunting thing yeah. to realize.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit like that. I just, I, I, yeah, it did sort of over, um, yeah, it sort of eventually dawned on me that, yeah, it would be really useful to have this extra material. And so, yes, it was quite a lot of extra work to, to do that, but I'm really pleased. I'm really pleased with, with both books.
0: Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're really great. Um, I, uh, one uh, interesting thing it's, um, uh, that I sort of like to ask sometimes is your writing, um, schedule. Did you have a schedule for example, like, because a lot of people, you know, listening might be thinking, like, you know, "Oh, I've got I've got a book in me," but like, how do I carve out the time, and how do I explain to my family or something like that? You know, I'm going to be no more Saturday afternoons with dad or something like that. I mean, it was.
1: It, I think that one of the key things is that I at the outset of when I, when I took the position at Flourish that that it was part time, so I am you know fortunate to, to be in that position. And you know, it was something when I was um, working in my previous job at um, in Cambridge. It was something I really struggled with of of how you would fit that time that time in. Um, But yeah, I mean, to be honest, with the um, when I was converting the the course into the book, um, again, I don't know. I don't know why but i just had such sort of tremendous um energy to do that and so i was i was fitting it in in you know every sort of spare hour i had so um i'll do it you know i think a lot of it was done in like a just little hour slot at the end of the day um, and sometimes if you really focus, you can actually actually get quite a lot done
0: um and uh with respect to the sort of like, you know, the, the sort of practical aspects of being a self-published author, Um hmm. uh, I've noticed you've done some interesting things around um uh, marketing the book. For example, you had a sort of, you know, discount at launch and things like that. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about your approach to that. I mean, you had the, the sort of, you know, successful tweet and things like that. But um, how are you going about spreading the word about the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, I mean, one of the reasons I went with the D3 book is that I've got the, the D3 In-Depth site, which which gets, you know, a, a fairly good amount of traffic. So, so my thought was always that I try and kind of advertise or, or um, yeah, advertise the, the book or market the book on, on that website. Um, but, yeah, the... Yeah, that the, that that tweet that I put out, and again, I put a fair amount of sort of thought into that that tweet, um, and that just seemed to go really well. And I think a couple of key people retweeted it in, in in the database space, and that it seemed to you could almost see the spike after one in particular retweeted it um, or recommended it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I think, you know, I, I'm definitely stronger at the, 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 the sort of coding side of things. And I'm, I'm still just trying to learn to, you know, uh, uh, how to market. I'm kind of just learning on the job. Um the, the create with data website I started a few years ago, but that's kind of my main focus. So that's kind of like a content marketing approach where I'm just planning to um kind of write more tutorials which hopefully will again yeah let people know about the books i'm hoping to do a mailing list well i've already got a mailing list but i'm hoping to do kind of focus a bit more on a, on a mailing list as well but again it's kind of finding the, the time to do that
0: the last question I always like to ask uh, of a guest if they're a Lean Pub author um, is uh, if there was one thing that had you shaking your fist uh, at LeanPub and shouting about that made you really angry that you wish we could fix or do better, or if there was some magical feature you could ask us to build for you, can you think of anything you would ask us to do?
1: I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing I shook my fist at. Absolutely, I, it really was. I really enjoyed. It was a really smooth process, honestly, and it it, it I really enjoyed it. Um, and it 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 it, it, it worked for me really well. Um, in terms of um features, I mean, one of them I think which we sort of touched upon just now is just, and I think this is probably true all of the especially technical authors. Just I think I I could really do with more help on the the sort of the marketing and advertising side of it. Um, I know. I mean, I was looking at the documentation today. It, it you know it, uh, um, it it sounded like that, that. There's possibly some help with kind of like the Google advertising, but I I haven't really you know, fully um, kind of. Yeah, understood what what might be possible there, but I just think I don't know if it's something that Leanpub is able to to kind of help with.
0: Yeah, no, thanks very much for that. It's um it's interesting. So we do we do have sort of you know um you know articles in our help center with sort of tips and tricks and stuff like that. Mm. Um, one the one the one um the the main article we have about that is basically like I mean I I wrote it so I remember sort of it, but the the main thing is like. If you want to, if you want self-publishing advice, you know, about how to market your book, there's like a million sites out there. There's even people mm. who will charge you money, um, you know, if you want to pay them. But, you know, but we've got a, lo- a relatively long article, which is like, oh, here's the, but, but but, like what we can contribute to this space is like what makes Pub a little bit different. Like what are the things you can yeah. do with LeanPub? Um, And so there's things like coupons, which are actually like when you've made them on Pub, it seems really straightforward, but actually self-publishing sites, that's actually a pretty... That's a pretty unique thing. So you can make discount mm-hmm. coupons. Um, you can actually do things like you've done, which is um, create packages. Um, so you can add arbitrary kind of, uh, hopefully not internal to the project, but you can add arbitrary digital data or digital files to your to your book and sell that. So you know it's kind of like get the book plus you know the you've got you've your advanced version for example, and you and you do things like that. We did we did have a thing that we were showing to authors about how like we'll we'll buy google ads for you and that's something we might bring back but no one seemed to be that interested in it uh, okay. but but the, okay. the the idea there is that actually we do we do know i mean we've got our own sales data we know what books are doing well we know what sort of keywords work and things like that so hmm. um and a lot of lean pub authors are um like a lot of self-published authors are like you know what I'm, i i want to write my book about my thing that i love i and i'd like to I'd like to have marketing done, but I don't want to do it myself because I'm not a, Mm. I'm not a marketer. Um, and so, um, offering sort of something like that is something that we definitely like have our eye on. We do have, um, you know, sort of internal advertising, like we've got this thing called the shelf where you can get your book on our homepage and you can uh, get sponsored spots and newsletters, which are actually really, really useful. Uh, but when it comes to sort of external marketing, um, uh, there's a there there is a lot more we could do there and, and even even just guidance you know like so I've clicked the publish button what do I do now um you yeah. know there there might be things that like sort of we take for granted that might be totally new but you know soliciting feedback from people you know tweeting tweeting sort of relatively regularly as long as and, and the main I guess I guess probably it sounds um it sounds a bit like an easy answer but the most important thing when it comes to sort of self-promotion um yeah. is that you only do what you what you like. Um, if you feel gross doing something don't do it you know what I mean like don't don't beat yourself up about it that's the sort of hardest thing to to sort of sort of convey because people often feel like oh you know I wish I could do more to get sales am I second guessing myself Mm. too much or something like that and it's like if it's not you it's not you don't do it um Mm. uh is is kind of the the thing I like to say and like you know for example a lot of a lot of authors feel way more comfortable with like um promoting their book along with like a blog post that actually like is a useful and interesting blog post mm. you know what yeah. i mean like you know like i actually yeah. i had an interesting yeah, yeah, thought and like here's a blog post oh and by the way buy my book and you know if, if it's if the post yeah. is just buy my book or yeah. some some cheesy yeah. throwaway line to grab attention or something like that by the way I, i'm speaking negatively if that's what you're into go ahead do it like yeah. good for you lots of people have like lots of great success with that kind of thing too but but you know if, if, if that's not your kind of thing like if you actually, what you really enjoy is like taking an hour to write a really interesting blog post. Uh, that's actually great marketing for, for your book or books or whatever that you've got out there. So making it enjoyable is actually, is actually the, uh, you know, the things like oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go market my book for half an hour, you know, um you know, great, you know, let's hopefully I'll meet some new people and stuff like that. And so newsletters and things like that are are often really the best. Well, uh, Peter, thank you very much for taking some time out of your evening uh, to to talk to me and to talk to our audience. Um, And uh, thank you very much for uh, using LeanPub to publish your great books. You're welcome. It's
1: it's been a great experience. Thank you.
0: Thanks. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a LeanPub author yourself, please check out our website at LeanPub.com. Thanks.